Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love for Nick, for your healing in his body, and for the fact, Lord, that he that he loves you, that he that he wakes up praising you and seeking you. And we thank you, Father, that he's bringing this word to us. We ask that it would please um, take take its its place in our lives, and that that we would give you all the honor and glory out yeah. of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, beloved ones. Always a fabulous privilege to bring God's word to you. I just feel the the privilege of that and the honor that you give me in asking me to do that. And uh, as I foreshadowed last week, we're going to um, go through probably the most profound teaching that Jesus gave. So it's really fabulous stuff. And it's the Beatitudes. Uh, and we're going to go through each of them in the next, well, my next eight times that I preach, we'll be going through, through each of them. Uh, so it's a fabulous lead up to Christmas. Uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, as recorded by Matthew, um, was pretty successful, we read. Uh, he, Jesus gets his team together, uh, his uh, disciples, and, um, and he ministers around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, uh, an, a huge number of healings and an awful lot of preaching. And, and, and of course, as a result of the healings, I mean, news about Jesus spreads like a bushfire. And people come from miles around to, to come and hear him. And news of him, we read, spread to the province of Syria, that's north of Galilee. It spread to the De- Decapolis, which is kind of east um, of uh, Galilee. It spread uh, southwest to Judea, where Jerusalem was, and so people were starting to come and seek him out. It was triumphant. It was a PR coup. Uh, <coughs> and um, Jesus had caught the imagination of the people and the hope of the people. You know, could this man challenge the might of the Roman Empire and restore pa- Palestine to the Jews? Uh, and, uh, and so one day Jesus sees this huge crowd uh, streaming uh, into the village the, um, t- uh, waiting for him to come down from the hill uh, and uh, Jesus does something completely inexplicable uh, he does something that his PR agent did not order uh, he turns around to his disciples and says boys Let's go up into the hills today. Just you and me. And uh, let's, let's hang out together. And so Jesus turns away from this big crowd that's starting to form in the village. And the disciples, probably fairly bemused, uh, follow him. What was Jesus doing? Uh, the crowd, some of the crowd may have tried to follow him. We don't, we don't know. Uh, but whereas they were prepared to <laughs> walk the dusty tracks in order to see Jesus, um, walking up a mountainside was definitely not on the agenda, and they decided not to follow. So that just left Jesus and his disciples. Only the very loyal stayed with Jesus. And the same is true today, isn't it? That when it gets pretty tough and many people fall away. Uh, one of the most exciting things about the Christian church in Australia right now is that we're beginning to suffer a degree of persecution. And, uh, and that really refines the church. 
You've got to mean business to stick around with Jesus. Only the very loyal stay with Jesus when things get tough. And then Jesus turns around uh, and he does something very simple. He sits down. And uh, that may uh, have a sort of escaped your significance, but uh, when a rabbi sits down, you know that he's about to teach. It was a teaching position. They didn't stand at lecterns like this. They sat down. And that was a cue for everyone to shut up and listen. Uh, and many of you will have also experienced the wild, beautiful places and, and experienced God in them. Uh, it's not hard, is it? I mean, we were in the southern Flinders, Mary and I, a few weeks ago. Just spectacularly, ridiculously beautiful. And of course, the center of the world, which most of you know is Second Valley, uh, equally just beautiful. And um, we, we, we experience God in some of these wild places. And so it is good, isn't it, to follow Jesus' example and get away to these, these wild places. Just allow the soul to be still and invite God into that presence. And uh, you will experience God speaking to you in, in a deeper way than you normally do. And so Jesus sets about to shatter the attitudes uh, lauded and applauded by humanity. He comprehensively dismantles them and sets in place a radical new way of thinking. Uh, that he says that these are the true attitudes of anyone who wants to be blessed by God. And so Jesus begins his first major teaching session with his disciples. The, the American, American revolutionaries had their declaration of independence. <laughs> Karl Marx had his communist manifesto. We Christians, we've got the Beatitudes. And they are radical. The, the word Beatitudes, of course, comes from the Latin Beatus, which really means happy or blessed. Uh, and you may have come across it in the English word beautific, uh, as um, uh, beautiful and, and, and lovely. He had a beautific smile, a happy smile on his face. If you haven't, you will. Let me read to you what the psychiatrist James Fisher said. It's, I love this. I dreamed of writing a handbook that would be simple, practical, easy to understand, easy to follow. It would tell people how to live, uh, what thoughts and attitudes and philosophies to cultivate, what pitfalls to avoid in seeking mental health. I attended every symposium it was possible for me to attend and took notes on the wise words of my teachers and of my colleagues who were leaders in their field. And quite by accident, I discovered that such a work had already been completed. Uh, if you were to take the sum total of all authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified of psychologists and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene, interesting word, if you were to combine them and refine them and cleave out the excess verbiage, if you were to take the whole of the meat and none of the parsley, if you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation 
of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And it would suffer immeasurably through comparison. (laughs) For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian world has been holding in its hands the complete answer to its restless, fruitless yearnings. Here rests the blueprint for successful human life with optimum mental health and contentment. Wow. Are you listening carefully? (laughs) And the Sydney psychologist John Poon says that depression is the number one top public health problem in Australia. And intriguingly, he says that valuing the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes greatly helps with self-acceptance because they challenge the unrealistic compulsions to achieve in order to feel worthy. So, with that introduction, a fairly lengthy one, (laughs) a few minutes remaining, let's look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's, what's poor in spirit mean? No, she doesn't, actually, so pay attention, Dad. What's poor in spirit mean? A- any, any suggestions? A bit shaky. <laughs> a bit shaky? Yep. Yep. It, it, can't be, it can't mean poor in the Holy Spirit in you because we're meant to have God's Holy Spirit in us hugely, aren't we? You know, not just fueling a tiny pilot light in our life, but, you know, warming our heart and, and motivating everything we do. Not strong. Yes. Uh, that is good. Listen to Isaiah 57, verse 15, where God says, I live in a holy place. So he's making it dead clear, you know. Holy God, he, wherever he is, is a holy place. But I also live with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. Lowly in spirit. Uh, and later on, God explains, uh, this is the one I esteem. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. So you get that phrase again, contrite in spirit or, or, or low in spirit. Let me just tell you what it doesn't mean. You know, what, um, who does not qualify for poor in spirit? Who does not qualify for being poor in spirit? Whoever says, I don't really believe all the consistent principles of the Bible are true and I prefer to believe my own ideas instead. That's not someone who is lowly of spirit. That is someone who is worshipping their own ideas and it's tantamount to worshipping themselves. Now I'm not suggesting you kiss, kiss your brains goodbye and believe ten impossible things before breakfast. And we need to take seriously the cultural context in which the Bible was written. But what I am saying that if God exists and if God has chosen to reveal himself through Jesus as witnessed to in Scripture, then he says who he is. We don't just take it upon ourselves to try and invent another God. And if we are arrogant enough to tell God what we think is true and right, then as I said, it's 
it's not God that we believe, but it's ourselves. Uh, St. Augustine said something like that. <laughs> if, if you accept what you feel like accepting in the Bible and reject the rest, then it's not God you believe, but yourself. That's what he said. Uh, and being independent of God and, um, and thinking you know better than God is, is the oldest sin in the world, isn't it? And, yeah, the, f- the first two sins ever mentioned in the Bible called Adam and Eve, right? Well, take it from me there, all right? And, um, and what were the two temptations? Yeah, the first one was, wow, look at that mango! I told you before that no one ever gets tempted by an apple. They're pathetic. I mean, but a mango, and now you're talking. It doesn't actually say it's, a fr- it's an apple. It just says it's a fruit. So I prefer to think it's a mango because I like man- mangoes. Look at that mango! Oh. <laughs> and you feel like, you, know, you, you think the God's looking down and saying, doesn't she know that there's, there's a million mango trees you know, in, the, in this garden? Any one of them she's going to pick up. But no, this particular mango is, is just... Looks riper and better than anything else, and I've got to have that one as well. I'm going to deny myself no pleasure at all. You see? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> People today, I'm going to deny myself no pleasure at all. You are evil if you stop me pleasuring myself. And, and the second one that follows that is um, when Adam and Eve decide that they want to be like God. We don't want God telling us what's right and wrong. We want to decide it ourselves. We need to know. We want to be like God, you see. And it just seems to me that nothing's changed, does it, really? We're going to tell God what the right theology is. Because the community opinion leaders on Q&A have told us what we should believe. (laughs) Didn't hear anyone laugh. And this pathology has infiltrated even, sadly, our church institutions and some liberal academics have sat in judgment over consistent principles of Scripture and have substituted their own ideas instead. And that is frightening. They kind of become the new Gnostic high priests. The, the Gnostic, Gnostic heresy was the first decent heresy to, to challenge Christianity in the second century, end of the second century, the third century. And uh, Gnosticism really said that... Um, uh, you actually can't get close to God. Uh, Jesus was quite wrong. You can't get close to God at all. And there are a series of emanations from God and, and the secret information that you need to have in order to pierce these emanations from God so you get closer and closer to God, which means you've got to listen to me because I'm a Gnostic priest and I know more than you. And so you need to suck up to me big time for, to get this information and maybe you get closer to God, you see. Well, instead of there being Gnostic priests you need to suck up to, we, we, we have ABC opinion leaders who seem to know better than anyone else. And um, they have, have become the new Gnostic priests of our time, secular opinion leaders. Uh, please note, I'm not advocating... Uh, blind faith or anti-intellectualism. I'm really glad God gave me a brain and expects me to use the brain for his glory and expects you to use yours as well. But it is the nature of humankind to get too big for its intellectual boots. 
which is why the Apostle Paul savages those who elevate their own academic ideas over God. In the beginning, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he really has a go at this, and, and he also savages those who try and parade their own righteousness in front of everyone, like the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And you know, Such people do, are not poor in spirit. In the olden days, if you read uh, books about times when horses replaced cars, um, you, you, you would hear sometimes of, 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 it, of a horse being a spirited horse. <laughs> and let me just tell you, I, I haven't had a lot to do with horses, but just occasionally I've seen a spirited horse. <laughs> And uh, it's really embarrassing when you have a spirited horse on the Queen's parade in Buckingham Palace because the horse goes sideways, it poos on the, on the ground, it does its own thing, uh, it, chucks, it, it tosses its head, and the poor soldier on, on top of it is, is desperately trying to control this spirited horse, which is trying to do its own thing, you see. So being poor in spirit is not being like that. Being poor in spirit means that you are totally reliant on God. That you are not trying to, to grab the authority from God at all. And you're just saying, Lord, it is yours. It is rightfully yours. And I can do nothing without you, actually. You design me to be your child. And unless I'm your child, I'm nothing. That's someone who is poor in spirit. And, and I reckon most of you would be, be pretty good at being poor in spirit because I don't see an awful lot of arrogance. It, it, it is there though, isn't it? There is some. <laughs> I'm not, I wouldn't lay perfection on you because that would be really mean. That would be too heavy a thing to, to, to carry. And, and every one of us need to repent now and again, but... Most of us know ourselves to be in continual need of God's grace and, and we rely on it and we just love God for it and, and it's just the most wonderful thing. When Jesus pointed to children who had come to seek Jesus, did you remember that? Despite, the, despite Jesus saying, I know, the, the disciples of Jesus saying, take these terrible children away. Don't bug Jesus with children. And what did Jesus say? Let the little children come to me. Because uh, unless you have the faith of a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And he's, and he's really saying, unless you have the humble, trusting heart that is childlike, not childish, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Who does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. So it's not the rich, the famous, those in the highest positions of church leadership or the most educated 
who are given God's heavenly kingdom. <laughs> God says, you who are humble, you who know that you need God every moment of the day, guess what? <laughs> Yours is the kingdom of God. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Everything in God's coming kingdom is theirs. When God will take earth and heaven and remake them both into one, which he calls the kingdom of God, where he will be with his people eternally in the whole adventures of eternity with a creative, loving God. I can't think of anything better. That inheritance is yours if you are poor in spirit. And it all begins, of course, with submission to God, being poor in spirit. So let's agree to be <laughs> humble and open, submitted to God. It's not the rich or the famous that have the highest positions in God's kingdom. It's those who are poor in spirit. I, I and I love that. Some things promise satisfaction and pleasure and they don't deliver. <laughs> it's just tragic when people spend so much time chasing these things down. But in reality, much of it just turns to dust. And so Jesus uses the word blessed in the Greek makarios, which means blessed and happy. He, he's talking about a soul-satisfying happiness that will bless you uh, e eternally. That'll bless you eternally, the kingdom of God. And the key to the kingdom of God is a spirit that is humble enough to be open to God. And when this happens, God delights to meet with you and fill you with his presence. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we, we don't understand your logic and your truth. We just know instinctively that it's right. And what little bit we can understand, we have proved it to be so. And so, Lord Jesus, we say thank you for your teaching. Thank you for this profound gift to your church that is the Beatitudes. Thank you for that statement that, that you bless the poor in spirit with the kingdom of God. And we want to say, Lord, that sounds like our God. That is beautiful. We would love and worship a God who promises that. And so we do. And so, Lord, we pray, all of us together as the Rivergate team, we, we pray that we would have that humble, open, soft heart towards you. That is the heart of those who are poor in spirit. Hold us, Lord, and don't let us go. Let us achieve the things for which you call us into being. In Jesus' name, amen.